All Can't right. wait for my new voice to drop. Oh, new voice just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> new dude just dropped. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him. And I am here with my multi-dimensional co-hosts. I'm confused. Sorry. And I am here with my temporal co-hosts. There you go, I guess. Great. But who have you been in other times? Uh, I am always me. This is my consistent and immutable shape. Wow. In every timeline, this is you. Yes. Wow. My name is Cassidy, and I use they, them for my pronouns. Um, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's hard to say what I am right now because I am kind of dead brain. I just had my teeth drilled on for a couple of hours. Uh, Not in a fun way. No, no. Yeah, no. Um, Although you did pay for it. Yeah. It's true. I paid for the pleasure. It makes <laughs> you wish <laughs> uh, makes you wish you were in a future timeline where they can do it more painlessly. Yeah. Or in a past timeline when they can do it more painfully if you're a Cenobite. Or you well, just I think, die. <laughs> I think I think it was like a Cenobite kind of initiation, maybe. We have such sights to show your teeth. <laughs> Wait, are you gonna be the new chatterer? Oh, oh maybe yeah. yeah. I can't do it right now because my teeth hurt. <laughs> The Thanks. dentist, you paid for it, and we deliver. <laughs> and then drill noises. Oh, man. Yeah, there was a drill involved. Instead of, of pinhead, it's drillhead. Oh, God. Yes. What about you there? Well, uh, me, <laughs> I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are she, her. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm someone who, in my original lifetime, I... Uh, I was doing a little juggling act, but I slipped on a little bit of mud Uh-oh. and I dropped one of the balls and I my butt fell in some mud and it looks like I pooped my pants. <laughs> and then I, I got up to try and pick up the ball, but I slipped and fell on my face. I just Then it looked say, like you pooped all over your face. Yeah. I gotta say that must have been a massive shit. Because if somebody assumes that you shit so hard that it's seeping out of your pants, that's pretty incredible. Let's just say the first timeline, you <laughs> there were a lot of mistakes to learn from. Okay. And uh, just pretty much since then, uh, I'm still chasing that ball. Okay. In my next lifetime, I was hit by a carriage trying to chase after a ball <laughs> that I dropped. And it's it's not gotten much better. Uh, now I That's now true. I'm very careful around bouncy things. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a good a good lesson to take away from that. And I always make sure my pants are pristine. Good policy. That's why I don't wear white pants. Yes. <laughs> you always wear brown pants. Then it's just you're good to go. Then just let her rip. <laughs> 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 or if you're brave enough, just wear white pants every day. True. No matter what. Just be bold. And wear your mistakes proudly. <laughs> I'm just imagining someone. It's ketchup, right? It's ketchup, right? <laughs> just imagining someone saying, yeah, I only eat white foods like milk and whipped cream and stuff because uh, I wear white pants and I want my poop to be white just in case. It's like, 
I don't think you thought about about this. Well, guys, are you ready for the worst transition of all time? Sure. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Yay! Yay! It's it's June 1st as we record this episode. It's the time when it's safe to be, you know, homosexual... Or trans or envy, right? Uh, ooh, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> or bye. You this know, is, this is actually... Our, our bye friends. This is <laughs> the time when corporations pander to the queer community by uh, doing what we call rainbow capitalism, yeah. which is when you just uh, slap a rainbow up on everything for one month, and then, of course, at the end of the month, you tear that shit down, motherfucker. Throw it out, throw it in the trash can... You don't That's have what a, the corporations okay, do. Okay, okay. You don't have a little pride section the rest of the months and then blow it up for one. No, month. no, it's not like um It's all or nothing. Easter? I don't know what I guess there's like always a candy section. And then uh I suppose. So. And then uh, like Halloween and Easter, you like inflate your candy selection. I'll tell you, pride stuff sells year round, but yeah, when well, it comes to monopoly corporate corporations. It is one month ordeal. Yeah, yeah, in the Bay Area, you can get queer stuff like all year round. It's it's like a, a cornucopia of gayness. Yeah. yeah. And we love it. We roll around in that cornucopia every day. And I'd it's, say, it's amazing. I'd say even in this place, I, I am still wanting very often. I think online is still the best haven to find a lot of pride stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And it's a pretty significant community, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. However, Pride Month began with a riot. That's right. That's right. And even today, now that it is a celebration, it is still a protest. And it can still be a riot. That's right. Uh, And we're still under attack. That's right. It is as much a protest, a sign of defiance, as it is a celebration of our diversity. Just being a queer person of any type and expressing your happiness and joy is resistance. Exactly. Yeah. Love will win, but, uh, you know, we're going to have some obstacles in our way that we might need to knock down with love or possibly a sledgehammer. <laughs> a rainbow painted brick from your local target. <laughs> that was one of my that was one of my favorite um tweets I saw this week, which was the uh the new Pride merchandise just arrived and it's just a pallet full of bricks. I've seen that one. Yeah, that <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Like there we go. You know what? Sometimes you can approach things with delicacy and like just being yourself. And sometimes you need to bring the fucking hammer down. It's true. There's a subtlety to riots. (laughs) There's an honesty to them. Yes. So in honor of Pride Month, we figured we'd talk about a movie by two of the most prolific trans filmmakers living today, certainly probably of all time, right? Yeah. Because we're going to be talking about Cloud Atlas, a movie by Lily and Lana Wachowski, as well as co-directed by Tom Twyker. Are these the guys that made The Matrix? Yes. Nice. These are the ladies ladies. who made The Matrix, Yes, yes. yes. So this movie just stars a whole fuckload of people. I know, a lot of big names. We got Tom's Hanks. We've got your Halle's Berries. We've got your Broadbent's Jims. Wait, I did that one backwards. 
Jim Broadbents. We've got the Hugh Grants. Oh, I forgot about the Hugh Grants. We've got the Hugo Weavings. Bay Duna. Susan Sarandon. Keith David. That's right. All these names are just beginning to sound like hut hutties <laughs> from Star Wars. Fair enough. I mean, it's kind of like if you think about any word too much, it starts to lose all meaning. Susan Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> and if you start to ask yourself stupid questions like, well, who does that actor play? Fucking everyone. I know. There's no way we're going to just keep track of all the characters because people play so many different ones. It's not, I'm not going to try. <laughs> we're going to broad strokes this bitch. That's right. So with that in mind, before we get started talking about the movie, why don't we have a little summary? All right, guys. So I have a question for you. Is this movie even summarizable? I mean, I think so. Yeah, it, it seems really complicated when you're watching it, but like it's actually kind of simple. Really? Because I was just going to say and a bunch of shit happens. <laughs> and then we go to another timeline and a bunch of shit happens there. And then we jump back to a previous timeline where a bunch of shit has been happening. And then later on in another timeline, shit happens also there in that other timeline. Lots of stuff happens at different points. Thank you. It's like everything everywhere all at once, but you know, a little, a little more reasonable. I was gonna, I was gonna say, is this more everything everywhere or less everything? I guess it's less everything everywhere. It's less. It's, One timeline. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of similar. Okay, so let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll attempt this here. All right, you, not you guys. You guys score. Quiz me. We score. Keep a score. We set him up. You knock him down. Yeah. Oh, you think you know this movie? Explain every timeline. <laughs> no. I, I, <laughs> Not I, happening. I refuse. Fair enough. <laughs> Completely respectable. <laughs> I've seen this movie three times. I kind of sort of know what happens in like kind of the framing mechanism timeline. Three times. Oh, fuck. So there's a lot that this movie is about, but... It spans multiple time periods, and it's kind of broadly about how we are all connected through our shared experience of being human, and how our stories can connect to e us to each other over time. Yes. Yeah. And so we follow five or six different timelines i can't remember the I believe it's six and should we try to list them no okay. and <laughs> each one has kind of a main narrative arc and many of them center around overcoming adversity with the help of your friends and loved ones i figured out an easy way to figure out how many timelines there are or time periods there are Six. I just counted how many names of characters Tom Hanks has in this film. Oh, yeah, because he's in every one. <laughs> that, that, that works. Um, and Tom Hanks is 
the only one who has like a general arc that spans all of the timelines. Uh, because like an important arc, because Halle Berry's in all of them too. Sure, but as a soul, because uh-huh. a lot of the characters that are played by one actor but multiple characters, it's kind of implied by the fact that they all have this like birthmark of a shooting star that they are like reincarnating throughout time, um, which is different from the book. And we will talk about that later. You will talk about that later. Because <laughs> the rest of us have not read the book. We will emote in response. <laughs> wow. I'm going to do the puking money emoji response. Nice. I love that. Well, I was trying to be generous, and uh, you flubbed that one. Perfect. That's my job. We're just going to be the emoji movie in the background. (laughs) But um, Tom Hanks's, like, soul of the movie is the one who actually kind of changes over time. Everybody else is kind of, like, repeating their cycles. Hmm. And that's something that Jack is going to talk about. That's right. That's me. And I'm going to talk about it. She's going to talk about and it. And of course, Jamie, you're always going to talk about class struggle. I can't believe you would try to typecast me like this. But I think that that's the like gist of this that we're going to get. And just to clarify, I said timelines. This is all like you said, one timeline. I meant time periods. Like this movie is one continuous like 1800s, maybe 1700s to like 2400 or something like that. It's specifically 1850. Is that the earliest timeline with the slave ship? I think so. Okay. It goes well into the future. Yeah. And like post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Yes. So it's one timeline, multiple time periods. Yes. Six to be specific. That's right. And on that note, why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Cloud Atlas. Oh god, is that the first time we've said the name this episode? No, no. We introduced it. Oh, thank god. So this is based on a book. That's right. Of the same name. By David Mitchell. Came out in like 2006. That is basically... Oh, the movie did? Or the book did? The book. The movie came out in 2012. Okay. Normally I know that stuff, but... You're our Cloud Atlas expert. Okay. Don't quote me on those dates, but I I know the movie came out in 2012. So I will quote you on that date. Yeah, sure. All right. Great. (laughs) So why don't you tell us a little about the book and how it differs from the film? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, okay. So I think it's worth reading the book and watching the movie. They differ from each other in interesting ways, and they're both valid interpretations of, like, the general themes that we discussed. Cool, love that. In the summary, yeah. So you don't feel like the book is superior to the film? No. So it's not The Hobbit? The book isn't, I mean, (laughs) the movie... (laughs) Just throw flame at The Hobbit whenever (laughs) boss. Any chance I can. The movie isn't superior either. I think they're both legitimate and good in their own right. I mean, they both have some issues, but, um... That doesn't mean they can't be good also. What, you mean you don't like actors uh, playing a broad range of 
racial and ethnic backgrounds that do not match their own real world racial or ethnic backgrounds. Because I don't like that either. Yeah, we'll get into that later. There's a lot to say about that. I think that's a final thought, thought, perhaps. (laughs) That's a whole other can of worms that you're trying to open when you teed me off to talk about the book. All right, sorry. Um, I don't mean to tee off. Uh, I mean, I meant to tee you up. I mean, what I'm trying to say is... Tea along. <laughs> tea ahead. Um, tea. <laughs> I'm a yeah. I'm a tea. I like that. <laughs> so it's kind of like we discussed with Annihilation, where we were saying that the book and the movie both kind of take the seed or skeleton of the idea of the story, and then are just different interpretations of it. I think I actually prefer it for the most part when movies do that. I mean, obviously some exceptions like the Lord of the Rings trilogy does a really good job of building on and expanding Tolkien's work. Whereas the film, the running man, I think is very fun and a very good example of like eighties action, which I believe we talked about not that long ago is based on a book that is deeply dystopian. Stephen King, fiction from like the 70s that is bleak and dreary yeah and the book of course was called this bitch runs (laughs) yes i forgot about that run bitch run (laughs) oh my (laughs) god (laughs) jeez that's high impact (laughs) about threatening (laughs) the cover of the i am out of here the cover of the book is just a mirror (laughs) (laughs) god damn so like we were saying in the movie the connection between the different time periods is implied that it's these souls that are being reincarnated and they're living out their lives and they're living out these stories again and again together and it's that that is fueling the narrative and like that is what connects people is their soul and that is what is like the most important about a person and like Cass said we kind of have the visual representation of this connection through a shared birthmark of a shooting star yeah and they're not like carrying on memories it's more like like i think the best way to describe it is like the soul learns lessons that it can apply later but it doesn't know where it got those lessons from or it doesn't know the content of a past life right it just kind of has matured to a point where it is more open to making positive changes which is really represented by zachary the character that tom hanks plays in the post-apocalyptic latest time period that happens in the film it's true yeah jack's gonna jack's gonna take us away on that in, in just a short bit here but uh so One of the ways that this differs from the book is that in the book, like I was saying before, it's more about how the stories of our lives are what connect us. Yes, I really like that. There's not so much of, or if at all, like any kind of theme of reincarnation or motif, I mean, of reincarnation in the book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, that is not implied. The way they kind of 
adapted that and like kept some of that in the movie is when there are the stories in different time periods where people will be reading the journals of somebody from one of the other time periods. Right. They're connected to them through, like you said, storytelling that's passed on in a more organic way. And like in the near future where it's like a corporatocracy. Yeah. Near future. That's a corporatocracy. Is connected to the distant post-apocalyptic future by the story of Somni. Right. The, the clone. We'll have to explain that and to the, the resistance. Listeners. Yeah. And so they inherit her story, but the context was lost and they worship her as a goddess in the post-apocalyptic future. So in the near future, Sanmi is basically a cloned woman who is just a servant. Like, I, let me rephrase that. A server, like at a fast food restaurant. And they are owned by the corporation. They are slaves. They are they, truly disposable humans in yeah. every conceivable way. They're not wage slaves. They don't earn a wage. They earn the right to live another day um, if they don't rebel. Right. And, and um, like, they are literally processed for food to feed each other yeah. once one of them dies. Soylent Green is, in fact, people. Yes. And Sanmi is saved by one of the lieutenants of the Union Rebellion. (laughs) Ah, you mean the Union? A good thing. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. And uh, since everything is owned by the corporations, they, like, run the government and everything. Um, They are the government. Um, The Rebellion... Oh, thank God this is a fantasy. ...is a union of workers, and they ha- use Sanmi as their spokesperson because they thought the words coming from her would be more powerful. Yeah, well, here we have kind of the classic story of like finding a representative who can speak for a broader movement. And we know, we see Sanmi is able to kind of process information differently than some of the other clones. She's actually able to interpret the meaning of class rebellion. Yes. And in the book, the importance of things being connected through stories is that that is our legacy as humans. And that is something we all share and can be a way for us to all find common ground. Absolutely. And a way that we can learn to understand and have empathy for people who have different experiences from ourselves. And it's kind of about like the importance of stories in our lives and how important it is that we keep those going. We keep them alive. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that the movie uses the different time periods to express the storytelling in a medium that makes sense for the time, because in the early whatever it is 17 1800s timelines the characters learn through journals and books about previous characters the near future that san me is from television and film has become the medium where the story of this man timothy cavendish who we've also seen living on a harrowing life journey becomes the inspiration for san me and this rebellious movement sorry what did you call it you called it a movie no 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 it's a disney sorry the disney Wait, is that what they actually say in the film? 
No, but in the book, all movies are called Disney's in that timeline, that, that oh time period. Oh my God, it is a corporate future. <laughs> yeah. And you said this, this book came out in 2006, right? Something like that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Curious. Thanks, Ronald Reagan, for the corporate future. <laughs> I seriously thought you were going to say Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Thanks, uh, also to blame. Ronald Burger McDonald. <laughs> it's the fucking Mayor McCheese. That's where this all goes up to the top. So it's kind of like we can speak to each other through stories, and the the meaning that we might get out of these stories can change over time, but we have the opportunity. To influence one another over time through our stories. Yes, and I was going to say in the the final timeline, after the apocalyptic story where we have these very heavily divided classes between the like super high tech advanced folks and then like the basically tribal like neo tribal people. They call themselves an- plainsmen, and the people that have like different forms of technology that are more you'd say are more advanced were the like sojourners or something like that right i can't remember um but so the the plainsmen are following an oral tradition with storytelling like basically campfire stories yeah so again this medium of storytelling makes sense for the context of the time period that they are living in yeah and that is the framework for the whole film and the book is that it's a story. Absolutely. So I'm going to take this opportunity to briefly plug a book I just read that I actually think connects. What do you want to do to the book? Plug it. Oh. I had the exact same reaction. <laughs> <laughs> because while I have not read Cloud Atlas, I have read Homegoing by Yagi Asi, ah, the yes. Ghanaian-American author, who writes a story about these two divergent family lines It's two branches of a single family tree that start in Ghana, Africa, and every chapter of the book is the next member of the family line, like the the next son or daughter of the previous main character whose arc you complete in one entire chapter. Yeah. And the way it tells the story is fascinating and really reminds me of Cloud Atlas. Yeah, it's very similar. Where we're following this thread and I won't say too much because I I really think listeners should check out this book. It's a phenomenally written book. It is one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. It's, it's truly excellent. Um, It has a similar vibe of there is like an ancestral memory or something that we pass on. It's a very much a book about generational trauma, about the horrors of slavery and racism, about class struggle literally, which is a word I feel like I'm saying a lot today, but it it has, you know, chapters that connect to the labor movement, to the Harlem jazz renaissance, and all these other important parts of real-world history. And the book builds on real-world history in a way that Cloud Atlas does not necessarily do. This book is situated within real events and real stories about Ghana and America and the Caribbean and slavery and the founding of our country and so many interesting things it touches upon. So if you've seen Cloud Atlas and enjoyed it, or just if you are willing to take a book recommendation from your old dungeon manager here, Homegoing. Excellent read. Yeah, I second that. 
But anyways, we've got more to say about Cloud Atlas. <laughs> it's true. And um, I think it's time to talk about the narrative arc of the characters in the movie. Yes. Now, we've talked about how the stories of humanity can reverberate down through the ages. The shifting of culture and the passing on, the teaching of later generations, influences the flow of culture and what the world looks like. Absolutely. What people put their energy into and what beliefs we're going to have. That's a great synthesis of the ramblings I was just embarking upon. Yes. A-OK hand emoji. <laughs> <laughs> However... The film adding a reincarnation motif to the plot uh, complicates that. It, it does. <laughs> One of the main theses or themes for the film is that the good and bad moral actions you take in your life carry on into your next incarnation. Yes. Like a karma system. Great way to describe it, honestly. Yes. Already, we there's a lot to unpack with saying good and bad action, right? And uh, so there's a lot there, but this movie says that it carries on into your next life and influences who you are going to become. Yes. And there are a lot of characters in this film who have very strict beliefs. Beliefs in freedom, beliefs uh, like against slavery in its different forms and in multiple lifetimes whether it's the 1700s we see a character fighting against slavery or we see them in like the later 2000s fighting against slavery again they are living pretty closely the same life that yes. they did and we see this reflected in quite a few characters all this to say the movie puts forward the idea that the morality of your actions can affect who you're going to become in your next life, and you have an opportunity to change your life that you're going to live based on the life that you are living. However, there's only one character in the film that actually makes use of that philosophy, and okay. that is our friend Tom Hanks. Our good friend Tom Hanks. It's certainly not Hugo Weaving, who is evil in every timeline. That's exactly what I'm going to get at. <laughs> okay. This film it has three categories of characters. Heroes, villains, and Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm listening. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the heroic characters are pretty... Uh, how you say archetypal heroic characters. Sure. And they kind of maintain that in every lifetime. Yes, exactly. We've got the abolitionist, um, like lawyer. survivor lawyer. We've got the badass Halle Berry journalist. Yes. Mm -hmm. We've got the like Kung Fu master. Haiju. Haiju, like gun fu expert. Who's the union lieutenant. And Son Me, the, like, representative of the people and the good. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then we have our villainous characters, our Hugh Grants. <laughs> our Hugh's Grant. Yes. Yeah, CEO. And Hugo's Weaving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hugh Grant plays in one time period a CEO of a nuclear power plant, but it turns out it's actually owned by an oil company 
and he is uh, just a figurehead there to make sure it fails. Hugo Weaving plays a pro or basically a slave owning asshole. He <laughs> plays an assassin sent to kill like everybody who's revealing information about the corporation, a crazed like Baron Samedi esque demon, which is of course besmirching the great character of Baron Samedi, but like basically this evil kind of demonic vision that Tom Hanks's character Zachary has in the in the distant future. He's supposed to be his vision of the devil. Yeah. Yes. He also that same character plays the person who turns all the serving ladies into uh you know chum corpses that you eat. And uh so the common thread that we see for all the heroes and all the villains is at the start of their arcs. When you look back to the original time, the furthest back time yes, is that they are less extreme in their beliefs. Oh, interesting. And that over time, they get more solidified and archetypal with who they are until by the end of the film, the abolitionist who... Uh, is really hesitant to help even a single slave in the far future timeline is one of the leaders of the union working to save all of the slave servants, right? The, the dad of one of the British slave owners, he, you know, he just thinks there's a certain structure to the world where some people have to crush others. That's a Hugo weaving. Yes. In the future, he's like, they are food and uh, inventions and not real people, right? He's just more extreme than he was. And that seems to be how they are taking the interpretation of your actions in this life affect who you're going to become in the next. It's more like you will eventually become more and more archetypal in the themes that you lived in that life. Yeah, you know, I actually wish they did more shuffling of who plays which role. Yeah. Because the, the, I'm going to say like the main soul, the soul that is like the Tom Hanks at the end soul who's learned the most is played by a few of the different actors. Like Halle Berry in the kind of like 1970s timeline has the tattoo. Yeah. Son Me has it. Um, the abolitionist, who I think is played by Jim Sturgis, yeah. has it. So, like, different actors got to be kind of the good soul that we're following. Hugo Weaving never gets to do it. Hugh Grant never gets to do it. Like, I wish they'd shuffled up who was kind of an, a good, a morally more laudable character and who was more of a despicable character. Yes, it really does feel less like, oh, you have an opportunity to change in your next life. It is more the longer your soul exists, the more solidified in your ways you become. Oh, interesting. That is the interpretation for all of the characters, except Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks's character starts out more on the villain side of the spectrum, poisoning someone who he can steal from. Basically, he can benefit off of hurting this person. And so he does. And he's supposed to be a doctor. Yeah, exactly. A scathing indictment of the medical field. Hippocratic oath. More like hip Hippocratic oath. <laughs> 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 but see, that's the thing that complicates it, is that 
the individual <laughs> actors don't play reincarnations of the same soul. It's true. But that is confusing. It's very confusing. It is not very clear on that. Yeah. The only indication is the birthmark. Exactly. And so maybe what otherwise it's just a bunch of coincidences of people who throughout history have looked like Tom Hanks. So maybe what I'm saying isn't even correct. If it's not the same soul that Tom Hanks plays every time, that would mean that no character gets an arc. Well, they get their individual arcs. I don't know if there's a overarching arc besides the the soul with the birthmark kind of learning. But also having to forget every time they're reborn. In every timeline, the soul with the birthmark is the hero. The soul with the birthmark makes mistakes and learns from them. It's confusing. Yeah. Whether or not the shooting star birthmark is the same soul. Yes. Or if there are multiple reincarnates who have the same birthmark. It's possible. Because for some of the characters... Like our composer character. Yes. Uh, who is thrown in the old folks' home in another time. The same actor is playing yes. those yeah. characters. Yeah. In every timeline, that character is an artist of some kind. Ah, interesting. That actor. Yeah. In one timeline, they are the the composer. Mm-hmm. In another, they're a publisher for books. Mm-hmm. In another timeline, we see them as a street performing person uh, who musician, plays yeah. yeah, that Chinese string instrument whose name I don't remember right now. <laughs> That's okay. And uh, then there's also like Hugh Grant's character. Who's just an asshole and everything. <laughs> who's just like a dominating asshole across all timelines. Yeah. And then there's the other Hugo Smith, Weaving, Hugo Weavings, who's also that same dominating asshole across all timelines, and it, <laughs> it would have you believe that that's the same soul across all timelines, but it overlaps with the star tattoo, the yeah. star birthmark. Yes, and it's it does to bring it to the conclusion you kind of hinted at at the beginning of this. It does take something away from the messaging of the book because in the book, it's about how. We go through these cycles together as humans of like struggles and then kind of fighting for social progress and fighting against tyranny and finding meaning through your community and like going through these cycles as humans and finding meaning in that to something else in the movie. That's right. Things... Patterns repeat, but we they're never identical. Always right. moving in a direction. And I feel when you add the theme of reincarnation to this idea of cultural shift, uh, it sort of made the future timelines lose some credibility. Okay, interesting. The fact that humanity regressed so much when they put forward the idea of soul wisdom, it kind of, it felt sort of like unearned, if that makes sense. It's like, I'm not sure if given your morality system, if things would turn out this way. Hmm. Now, see, I I have a counterpoint to consider. You might be right. But is it possible that this kind of 
this future where I, I understand your point where like the haves are these like techno futurist like Tony Starks who all have this amazing nanotechnology and everyone else are like the underclass of like people in huts and stuff. Do you hear that, Jamie? That's the theme song for class struggle. I do. I hear it coming in. But here's the question that I'm going to pose to you about that. We have this tremendous divide, right? But what does Halle Berry's character finally learn at the end of this? What, Jamie? She learns that the best way to live life is to find love. She kind of rejects the techno-futurism in a way. They, Her and Zachary kind of meet eye to eye. They fall in love, of course, because this is a film, and in every movie you have to have the two hot characters fall in love. Nice. And that's Tom Hanks and Halle Berry in this case. They find common ground finally between these different classes. So we're seeing this idealized future where despite their incredible differences, Halle Berry is under this code, right? She's not supposed to help the Valley's men. It's almost with, like, like th- with, by giving them medicine. It's almost like the code from, um, Star Trek for uh, the prime directive. Exactly. Or like uh, the anthropologists like code of do no harm. And like it, it, it's kind of outmoded now, actually. It is. But the, like in the past, anthropologists would try to uh, not influence the culture. It was based on this misguided idea that you could like there's like a pure form of a culture. Yeah. And which is very uh, yes. hypoc- uh not hypocritical it's very condescending and yeah. it doesn't it has no basis in reality like if you bring an ipad to the amazon and you show it to kids they will figure this shit out like they've done these research this research where like they've brought computer like laptops to like quote unquote tribal societies and they've had them like hacked in like a few weeks okay like, so people are innovative yeah, yeah. In, in your example they left them with no instructions right the children are who learned how to use them of course and within a day they figured out how to turn it on within two or three days they figured out how to find the games and play them (laughs) classic (laughs) at that point i would be done (laughs) <laughs> and, and you're right, within a matter of weeks, they had hacked the system so that they could get online. Now, I'll tell you what, I've played a lot of games on a computer. I've never hacked the system before. No. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so we're bringing it back to the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so, exactly. So this idea that, like, there's a pure form of culture is incredibly ethnocentric. Yeah. It's rooted in, in a false reality. But here's the thing. How does Zachary convince Marinim, Halle Berry's character, to help him? He says, the, the little girl who's sick, who's dying, who he wants Marinim to help, mm-hmm. is family. Catkin is the name of the little girl. Right. She's family. <laughs> She's kin to him. Yeah. Wouldn't she, wouldn't Marinim 
help her kin and and he has saved her multiple times at this point or maybe at least once at this point he was saying like why are your lives more valuable than valley's men exactly and that's what convinces her and that's the theme that runs through the whole movie back to slavery right why are white lives more important than black lives into son me's future why are the clones lives any less valid than the non-clones lives they're clearly if there's a reincarnation theme in this movie these clones are capable of being reincarnated with the soul of another person. Yeah. This whole idea that all humans are equally worthy and valuable and worthy of respect is kind of the thing that finally brings them together. And we get this perfect classless society where everyone kind of realizes like things are just bad. We can be at odds with each other while things are bad, or we can come together and find love and compassion for each other and things will be better. So while I I totally see Jack's point about like this class divide and everything, I think that the big lesson of that final storyline is that that shit doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, there is kind of an added element of environmentalism because in the uh, final, the like post-apocalyptic timeline, Things are bad because humans have destroyed the world and radiation levels are toxic. Yes. People don't, the environment is fucked. People don't live as long. And even the, um, you know, the elite. The sojourners. Yeah, that's what we're calling them. Even they are experiencing the effects of the radiation. They have medicine to deal with it that the Valleysmen don't. Uh, but they're all dying and they call for help. And there's basically a huge satellite that they call for help from like extraterrestrial life. And it shows in the end that they're on another planet. They're on another earth like planet and that has two moons orbiting it. And so it shows that like, our ways have to change drastically if we don't want to lose Earth. But yeah, so they in the end are like living with a culture where they've melded their two cultures. Yeah, and we see at the end of the film that the most sophisticated society is a post-capitalism society where we come together as one and we accept each other as humans worthy of respect. And it's also post-race, which is something we might want to talk about in our final thoughts. Yeah. So with that in mind, I want to ask you guys just one last question. What is it, Jamie? Is Cloud Atlas art... Great question, Jamie. I think so, because it it gets you to think a lot about these things. It does open up a lot of interesting doors. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of those doors leads to Yellowface. (laughs) Yeah. There is an uncomfortable amount of, in the San Mi timeline, white actors being made, I'm just going to say, to look like they are supposed to be Asian characters. Yeah. Also, black actors made to look Asian. 
And in right. other timelines, Asian and black characters made to look Caucasian. Yeah. And also maybe uh, maybe it further diversifies because Asian characters are made to look Hispanic as well in some right. timelines. Yeah. Right. I think the point they were going for is that because they're, they're th- one of their themes is reincarnation. Yes. Souls will be in different bodies throughout their lifetime as a soul as they reincarnate. And so they wanted to try to show that. I think their goal was to have an easy visual for the viewer. Like, this is the same soul. And so we're going to just give them the actor makeup so that you know that it's the sa- supposed to be the same soul, right? Unless we give them a star birthmark. <laughs> I know. Right. And then then that goes out the window. <laughs> and then it's spaghetti time. <laughs> <laughs> then with the star, with the star soul, we'll call it, assuming that that is one soul. Yeah. Almost every actor, not almost every actor, like what, four or five of the major actors of this movie all at one point have the star. Yes. So then what does that mean? Does that mean Halle Berry's character is a continuation of other Halle Berry characters? Probably not, because Bay Duna, an Asian actor, plays the daughter of Hugo Weaving in the 1850s. And she's in whiteface. Yes, in in what is effectively whiteface. I would say ginger face. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> what's interesting is I'm almost entirely positive that they did not allow for blackface in this film. No, there wasn't anybody in <laughs> And so, I don't think so if you know to draw the line at blackface... It takes some real boldness or oversight <laughs> to allow any other face. <laughs> let's, let's like, before we like draw conclusions, let's complicate this. Sure. By um, bringing in what we mentioned about how in the furthest timeline, when we see how they've left Earth, they're on an Earth-like planet, they've melded their cultures together, and the children and grandchildren of these peoples who came together are of mixed race and everybody kind of ends up looking similar to one another. And so it's kind of like a becoming a post-race society because all humans are kind of like the same. Right. We see the grandchildren of Halle Berry and Tom Hanks who are a menagerie, right? They Mm -hmm. are, they are a collection of multi-ethnic, multi-racial children who are supposed to be the grandchildren, implying that the actual children of Zachary and Maranim were probably pretty diverse, and then we don't know who they might have um, had children with. Yeah. The world is kind of becoming a true mixing pot at this point. Yeah. The people, the surviving people. I understand the desire to show that. So do I. Me too. It's this ideal of like, People getting to the point where we focus less on the things that divide us. True. Right? I think that is the impulse. I agree. Behind it. Then why couldn't Hugo Weaving just be a white guy living in Korea? I don't know. In that timeline. I don't know. Exactly. That is the problem. (laughs) In execution, it falls very short and is problematic. Yes. And again... I don't know if I've said this yet. This is a movie I quite enjoy overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it is hard not to see a white actor with like prosthetic makeup to make their eyes look different. Yeah. It it is they are doing something that is kind of pretty insensitive, I'd say. Yeah. Yes. No, it's not delicately done whatsoever. No. But they're doing it with sort of what I would say the best of intentions. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Their goal is to get across these messages that love is the most important force in the multiverse and that we as humans have more in common than we have differences that might separate us. True. That is true. Absolutely. We're yeah. not we're well more than 99% the same across humanity. It's cultural differences and cultural biases that end up dividing people and making these distinctions. Yes. But, Tribalism. Yeah, yeah, but you can't just erase that and show the utopian ideal without really showing the struggles. Yeah, the sad reality is that Hollywood has such a long history of mocking and stereotyping people of color that it is hard to watch a movie where white people are prosthetically made to quote unquote look like another race without going like, did you was that the best way to do this? Could you have not conveyed your messages in a in a different way? There is also, I feel like, a an issue with the idea of I don't want to say ownership. The Wachowskis are known for making films with a heavily Eastern inspired aesthetic and tone to the point where like they made the speed racer movie, right? Yeah. They love Hong Kong action cinema, anime, like Asian filmmaking styles. I fear that at least at this point in their career, they were kind of comfortable saying like, Oh, well we can do this with our white actors because we're kind of known for doing the Asian film style. Right. And I'm not, I'm I'm putting words in their mouths, obviously, right now. That is not necessarily my intention. But like Jack said, I think very aptly, there is no blackface. So they knew enough not to do that. Exactly. So it does make this feel a bit tone deaf. But also, like in The Matrix, they got Keanu Reeves, who's Hoppa, right? Who is part Asian. Right. And... There are Asian actors. Absolutely. There are many. Also, there's one Hispanic character in this film. Yeah. And who is played an by an Asian, Asian woman. Person. Hispanic people are the largest minority <laughs> group in America. Yes. And like one of the very least represented. It's a sad reality. And this was back in 2012, where just like even being aware that Hispanic people exist does not happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate that for me, it is hard to watch this movie without being acutely aware of these racist overtones. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to say that the filmmakers are racist. Like we all have our inherent biases that we have blind spots for. Yeah, we've been taught them. Yeah. And it's just too bad because there are some major Asian actors in this film Probably not enough to make up for the fact that there's an entire section of the film that takes place in Korea. Yeah. And the primary Asian characters in those scenes 
are literal clone slaves. Yeah. Yes. And so I would say this movie is art, but it's kind of sloppy in the way it conveys its messages. And it becomes controversial art. (laughs) Yes. Which is fine. I'll tell you. If you wrote, if they wrote out their themes in like single bullet points on a piece of paper, it would be much clearer than the way it was executed. And uh, yeah, so conceptually, the film is fascinating. And then in execution, it's it's a little all over the place. But I still think the intention makes it art in my eye. One of the reasons why we chose this film for this month is because it's made by trans women hype who are artists and creators and we wanted to highlight that absolutely and filmmakers we love yes um also in the film they include queer relationships yep and emphasize that Love is the most important force. True. Which also makes it kind of sad that the last, I guess the last relationship is what we'd consider interracial, but it's a straight relationship. But I guess they needed to have the kids. But, you know, there's ways you could explain that, too. Another way that it's queer is that the idea of reincarnation and how you will be different in different bodies. Yes, and that was why I thought this made a really good trans allegory film. Yeah. I will also say that at this point in time, 2023, the biggest Disney movie that's about to come out, Elemental, is, hey, kids, check out biracial couples. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of feel like that, doesn't it? So, And we'll be talking about that movie on our show, I think. It is still a theme that... People are being made aware of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had a really good time talking about this movie with you guys, even if it had some, you know, problematic elements like many of the films we watch. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about it in the next lifetime. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And next week, we're you're going to get to hear our skit that we come up with for this movie. It's so fucking funny. You're not going to believe it. You can't even. Yeah. You know, with all this time travel, it sort of feels like we haven't even recorded it yet. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. But it'll be like we recorded it beforehand once it comes out. And then, Kath, what are our listeners going to get the following week when we talk about another movie? We're going to be talking about Sorry to Bother You. Oh, it's okay. I don't mind. (laughs) Now that's a cloud atlas. Which is a modern fantasy film about... Race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's about race, but it's also about being erased. Yes, true. Oh, God damn. (laughs) That was some fire you just (laughs) spit. And, uh realizing that you're complicit in your own erasure and then fighting against that. Well, I can't wait to talk about that with you guys. Yeah. But, you know, you're out there in listener land (laughs) and you just can't get enough of our show and you want to, like, follow us and know what's up with us. You can actually check us out on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and the steaming pile of wreckage that used to be known as Twitter. I love that. And um, we didn't plug this earlier, but 
If you have the means and you would like to support our show, we do have a Patreon account. It's true. You can head on over there to patreon.com slash swords and satire. Join at the tier that fits your budget and, you know, elect to support our show and become part of our community. And in exchange, uh, you'll have our undying gratitude. Basically invaluable. But you'll also get cool perks like duck art that Jack creates and some bonus episodes that we whip up for you. That's right. Totally. But it is not the only way you can support the show. We don't all have a few extra dollars in this economy. I certainly don't. To send toward your favorite artists. However, art is great at building community. True. And another great way you can help our show is by expanding that community and spreading awareness of our show via word of mouth. Yeah. Or posting about it. We don't advertise. And so you telling people is the only way for us to get out the word. We really appreciate it. And what better way to enjoy the show that you love than with the people that you love? Just write a strongly worded manifesto supporting our show Print it out on your printer, huh? turn it into a paper airplane, and just start throwing those fucking things out all over the town. Just huck them out there. Yeah. But then recycle it. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's recycled when people pick them up and go, oh, swords and satire, this is great. I'm going to go listen. And also spread the word with this poster to other people. Oh, okay. great. A book about swords and satire. I was just running out of toilet paper. <laughs> that's right well guys until next time hail Hail Crom. crom